I'm Austin, and this is Validated. Today I'm speaking with Charles Guillemet, CTO at Ledger, the leading hardware wallet company in the world. The heart of this conversation is the importance of self-custody. To paraphrase Charles, you're not doing blockchain right if you're not doing self-custody. The founding ideas of crypto stem from self-sovereignty, and self-custody is one of the most important parts of the self-sovereign stack. Not your keys, not your crypto. Of course, a key component of what makes self-custody viable is functional security, which is where hardware wallets like Ledger come into play. As more people have joined Web3, the percentage of users holding their own keys has decreased. Today, the weakest link is not the security of Ledger, it's user education. Whether you're new to the idea of self-custody or have been holding your private keys for years, Charles has a lot of valuable insights. He explains some of the tech behind what makes Ledger's hardware wallet so secure, why Ledger's core module isn't open sourced, and the evolution of their product offerings since 2014, the equivalent of BCE in crypto chronology. We also consider the reality of self-custodied assets with a near future of mass signing infrastructure. As Web3 uses increase, particularly on the retail side, users will need to sign more and more transactions, and entering a pin in your wallet every time you want to use Web3 Twitter isn't exactly a great user experience. I can't promise we come to hard conclusions on this one, but it's a problem that everyone in the space should be thinking about. If you take nothing else from this episode, I want you to ask yourself this. It's 10 p.m. Do you know where your private keys are? Charles, welcome to Validated. Hi, Justin. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Self-custody is one of those topics in crypto that's always relevant, but even after last year's events, I don't think it's something that everyone in this space takes as seriously as they should. So I'm glad to have you here to chat about some of the work Ledger's been doing and also the role of self-custody in general. Cool. Very, very, very exciting. Yeah, and I agree. Like Web3 revolution, the blockchain revolution is a revolution of value. And I would say that it redefines the very notion of value. Like it's now possible to really own your stuff, own your value. And this is possible through self-custody. Self-custody is really important. And from my standpoint, if you don't self-custody, you are just trading as you would trade like uh, stocks on, on the regular market. But this is not the revolution that Web3 is about. Web3 revolution is about self-custody. This is something really, really important. And sometimes when the market is uh, moving fast, some people tend to forget this. Yeah, so I want to talk about like the spectrum of self-custody that exists. We have sort of at the, the most basic tier, we have just pure software wallets. So this is if you download Phantom, if you download MetaMask, if you just install the extension, you write your seed phrase down, it's a pure software wallet. Then there's this concept of hardware wallets, which we can further break down into hot wallets and cold wallets. So I want you to walk us through the landscape of the different kinds of wallets that exist, how people use them, and how Ledger fits into that paradigm. Yes, definitely. Um, maybe something to give as a reminder is like when you own Bitcoin, when you own Solana, when you own cryptocurrencies in general, those assets live on the blockchain. What you actually own is a private key, and this private key allows you to prove ownership over those assets. And proving ownership helps you to transfer these assets. It allows you to interact with these assets. Because when, you, when we think about digital assets, Bitcoin was mostly about sending, receiving, and that's it. And then with Ethereum and other blockchain, 
uh, you can interact with, with those assets and do plenty of things with them. But those assets live on the blockchain and owning them means being the owner of this private key, which allows you to prove the ownership over those assets. And you can prove this to the decentralized consensus that will allow you to do your transaction. So that's why the security of this private key is uh, really important. If ever you lose your private key, you lose the complete access of your assets. Uh, if ever an attacker gets an access to uh, your private key, he will make a transaction, uh, drain your wallet, and there is nothing you can do uh, about that. With uh, big power comes big responsibility. This private key allows you to, to completely be the owner of your assets. You don't have to ask the permission to anyone to, to use them. On the other hand, this is a big responsibility. And the solution that allows you to store your private key is called a wallet. This is what we call a wallet. As you mentioned, there is a wide spectrum uh, of different wallets. On one side, you have uh, uh, like software wallets, which are uh, really great in terms of UX, like very less friction, quite convenient and so on. But the problem with this kind of wallets is uh, security because your private key is stored within um, your mobile phone or uh, in your in your desktop. That means if there is a malware on your computer or a malware on your phone, this malware will be able to uh, extract your private key and then uh, send it to the attacker, which will uh, drain uh, completely your wallet. So the piece you, you're, you're sort of talking about there, just to tease it out more for folks, is you know a software wallet in theory, in a perfect computational world, could be as secure as a hardware wallet. But the practicality of Chrome extensions and real-world use case and files in your computer means that, you know, at the end of the day, you can think of a ledger as a software wallet wrapped with a piece of hardware, right? There's still software running on the ledger where the private key is stored. It's not, it's not a physical mechanical computer in there as much as it would be cool if there was a version that was. Um, <laughs> so, so the thing we're talking about really in this is when you're interacting with a threat environment that is hostile, which the internet is a hostile environment, um, can someone actually extract data from the ledger, right? So in a software wallet, very famously, Chrome extensions are not sandboxed from one another. So even if your wallet, even if there's no compromising in the software wallet itself, other software systems on the computer may be able to extract that private key, even if it's by no fault of the software manufacturer itself of that wallet. But if it's stored on the ledger, that extraction level is not possible. Yeah, you're totally correct. And at the end, I like your comparison. At the end, inside a little device, there is some software that we have built. Um, more specifically, we have built an operating system, but a very simple operating system. It's on purpose. It's more a big cryptographic toolbox, which is in charge of securing your private key, your seeds, the generating uh, the cryptography and so on. And then uh, you can load a specific application, like Bitcoin is an application, Ethereum is another, uh, Solana is another. And this application will be able to talk to uh, the operating system when it comes to do uh, cryptography. And all of this is implemented within a dedicated piece of hardware. And this is the only kind of uh, software running on this hardware. So you have a physical isolation from like every uh, single software that runs on your computer and this specific software. 
what makes really a hardware more secure is this, like the cryptography, running the security pieces on a dedicated hardware, which is completely physically isolated from uh, your, your computer. And this is basically what makes hardware wallet really secure. On our side, we uh, especially chose dedicated uh, circuits with a secure element and so on in order to increase even more the security of your hardware wallet so that even if an attacker gets a physical access to your device, it's incredibly uh, difficult to extract the keys. But for me, the first feature is the fact that your hardware wallet is physically isolated from uh, your computer and your mobile and uh, the attack surface is really, really uh, small. Yeah, I, I want to go into the actual like hardware tech stack within a ledger in a minute. But sort of before we go there, you know, Ledger is a surprisingly old company for crypto standards, right? It was it was founded in 2014. So that makes it, you know, nine years old at this point. That is quite old for this space. Um, you know, back in those days in sort of the 2013, 14, 15 range, the best someone could do in self-custody was quite different than what we have now. It was either people using um, standard encryption on like a hard drive and then just having a, a key file on it or writing down a seed phrase on, you know, a piece of metal or something along those lines. So um, walk me through a little bit of like the evolution of, of Ledger in the early days, sort of realizing that there's actually a need in the market here at a time when, you know, still basically zero people were using crypto. Yeah, definitely. At the beginning, using crypto was really, really difficult. And even more, using crypto securely was uh, nearly impossible. The, the good thing is, at this time, crypto was not that popular and there, there was really less value than today. There, there was less attackers with less uh, incentives. So yes, uh, at the beginning of, of Ledger, we built, I, did, I was not part of the very beginning of Ledger, but at the beginning of Ledger, we, we built some uh, hardware wallet, which was based on smart card technology, and we are still using smart card technology. But the very first uh, device uh, did not embed a secure display. There was no screen on, on it. So that was mostly a security keys where you put your private key inside and the cryptography is implemented inside. And then you have a nice interface on your desktop in order to uh, create and sign transactions. That was more like a YubiKey dedicated for crypto. So th that was the, the first product. And then we built the Nano S. Uh, Nano S was, uh, was the, the, the first big product. Uh, we, we sold a lot of them. And the big difference with the Nano S is the fact that the Nano S uh, embeds a secure display. There was a dedicated screen on the Nano S. And why we want to uh, have a dedicated screen? Because we wanted to cover all different attack uh, vectors. So in Ledger devices, you have three main security properties. The first one is like your keys are generated inside a secure enclave. So this secure enclave is the secure element that we are using. The, that secure enclave is, is basically the same type of device you'd find in a phone that stores like Face ID or the credit cards, right? Secure enclave is a generic term, meaning that you have some isolation in this enclave and that your keys never leave the enclave. This is the idea. Like we have an enclave. This is something quite isolated from the rest of the world. And within this enclave, we will generate key and we will implement the cryptography. 
inside the new generation uh, of uh, smartphone, there is some enclave where uh, they implement Face ID for Apple. There, there are different kinds of enclave uh, with different levels of security, but uh, this is ge the general principle. So going back to the security property, so the first property is to generate the keys inside the enclave. The second one is like to make sure the keys never leave the enclave. So the cryptography is implemented inside the enclave. And the third one is something which is really cryptocurrency specific is the trusted display. What you see is what you sign because whenever you want to make a transaction, you want to have a trusted way to understand what kind of transaction you are about to consent. This is really important because otherwise you will think that you are about to send like 0.1 Ethereum to your friend while you are signing a transaction, which gives the complete ownership of your assets to uh, to an attacker. So that's why like the trusted display is something really, really important. Yeah, definitely. One thing I want to go back to though, is the difference between hot wallets and cold wallets. Could you tease that out a bit? For me, like the difference between cold and hot is more a difference of use, of usage. Like if, if you use your wallet a lot, it becomes hot. If you use it less, it becomes cold. And also in governance, like you put inside your wallet, the more governance you put, the colder it is. The reason I wanted to ask about this is because there have been a handful of high profile incidents where people have lost valuable NFTs and other assets that were secured in hardware wallets, but hot wallets. And these incidents are not due to any fault on the wallet's behalf, but because of human error. The owner of these wallets signed transactions they, in retrospect, shouldn't have. There's some irony to this because, as we were discussing, self-custody is the gold standard of security. But look at what happened to Kevin Rose earlier this year. Like, I think he lost over a million dollars worth of NFTs to a phishing scam. I don't remember exactly what happened, but at the end, he consented to sign a transaction that he did not completely understand on the device. And it can happen when we don't support fully a specific smart contract because sometimes like signing, uh, signing a payload uh, can be uh, really tricky to pass. When you uh, simply sign a send transaction, it's, uh, it's simple to pass and the device knows it. When it's more complex uh, smart contracts, uh, which are completely new and so on, uh, you, you might have to sign a hash. And I, I definitely um, I recommend not blind signing. But when, we, when you really have to, what you can do is doing this, what you uh, were mentioning, having a hot wallet and a cold wallet. In your cold wallet, you will put like your very valuable NFT, something that you don't want uh, to move. And on your hot wallet, you will put like a few NFT that you want to interact with uh, more often. And uh, doing so, even if your smart contract is not well uh, supported and, and passed, you will blind sign, but you don't risk your cold wallet. Yeah, so it's kind of funny because for a long time in crypto, it was not really possible to cheaply or efficiently secure your assets. And it was a technology stack problem for the longest time. It seems like we've moved to a place where the weakest link is now switched from the technology to the user. Would you kind of agree with that? I would tend to agree. The missing part is mostly education. Like people needs is mostly like phishing or scams rather than real attacks. There are still a few real world attacks, but attackers think about like opportunity cost. Like uh, how much 
would this at a cost and uh, what 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 is the potential uh, return of over investment and as of now it's it's really easier to uh, to do phishing attacks or scams uh, rather than trying to work some very secure solution yeah so i want to i want to talk a little bit about some of the transformation that's happening in the industry so you know for for years there have been multiple companies trying to build hardware wallets. There's one open source project, but Ledger is really the only company that has any significant market share or success in the hardware business in crypto that's not building ASICs or something along those lines. So uh, you know, even from sort of like the home node products, which never really went anywhere to, you know, again, apart from Bitcoin miners, it's, it's Ledger and Bitcoin miners and everyone else who's tried to build something hardware wise in crypto has ended up losing money or at least not attracting market share. What do you think it is about the way Ledger has built stuff over the years that has allowed it to sort of defy the rest of the industry? It's a good question. Uh, on my side, I would explain this uh, for various reasons. Um, the first one is we chose the right technology uh, from scratch. And this is a big differentiator uh, when you compare to different hardware wallets. That would be uh, the first one. And the second one is like the fact that we decided to be like blockchain agnostic. What we want to secure is your holdings. Whenever you want your holdings to be Bitcoin, Ethereum, or Solana, we don't have religion. We welcome everyone. But saying this, like, pose a big challenge because supporting plenty of blockchain is something quite difficult. It's really resource uh, intensive and so on. And in order to solve this uh, from an engineering standpoint, what we decided to do is to build open platforms. The Ledger device is an open platform where any developer in the world can develop its own application in order to support e, uh, his blockchain and so on. And then we have a security review process uh, and so on in order to make sure that we uh, propose a secure application to our users. But th this is this is what, what you decided to do, having an open platform on the device. And as of today, we have 150 uh, different applications for each devices that we have. And all, most of those applications have been built by the community. So this is the, the first thing. The second thing we did uh, more recently was to open the stack on uh, Ledger Live. Uh, Ledger Live is an open source software, but we recently decided to open the stack in order to enable like a blockchain foundation to uh, build the support of their favorite coin within Ledger Live. This is what happened with uh, Solana, by the way. We didn't. Uh, build the Solana support in Ledger Live. This is the Solana uh, Foundation that did this on Ledger Live and also on the device. And uh, more recently also, uh, we did the same within Ledger Live. We have a DAP browser where you can browse your favorite decentralized app. And again, this is the, the platform strategy uh, where we can like gather all the DAPs within the ecosystem inside Ledger Live. Uh, and um, and finally, also we are very open. You can use your device on uh, directly on uh, on MetaMask if you want, or or Phantom. Like uh, external integration is uh, is also something important. So yeah, in summary, I think we were successful for like the right technology, the platform strategy, and the openness strategy. I would say this is the reason why. Yeah, so you mentioned something interesting there, which is that the Ledger Live software is open source. You guys have sort of a platform model, but you know, very famously, the actual software that runs on the Ledger device itself 
that is a closed source experience and there is nothing else in crypto that is anywhere near that much trust and value placed in it that's also closed source this is a very weird outlier in in the industry do you guys have any thoughts and plans on if you would eventually move to open sourcing that core module as well or is that something that really is considered proprietary technology yeah it's it's a very good one and thank you for giving me the opportunity to uh, talk about that I strongly believe in openness. I strongly believe in, uh, in open source. And when we decided to choose the secure element technology, the smart card technology, we knew that some part of our code couldn't be open source. Because like secure element, smart card technology, they, like the vendor, go through a security certification. And in order for them to obtain uh, the certification, they need to be quite opaque on like how this uh, circuit operates. And they make us signing NDA, preventing us to open source our code just because they, they want to keep their certification and they want also to keep their IP. So if we would reveal our operating system uh, code source, we would reveal information on the secure elements that we are using and this is the reason why we don't open source our operating system. Just because we can't. We have this NDA. But all the, um, the applications that runs on top of this operating system are open source. Most of them have been built by the community. Uh, some of them uh, have been built by us. Like the Bitcoin application has been uh, developed uh, by us and it's uh, totally open source. So if you want to understand like the Bitcoin uh, logic, how it works, and so on. Uh, it's everything is open source. If you want to understand how the operating system is implemented, for now it's not possible. We have some plan in order to extract what is specific to the vendor from what is more open source, uh, what is more uh, uh, operating system, and uh, and try to open source this part. But it's quite complex to do, and uh, yeah, for me, for me, it's, it is really, really more important to have a very secure product and being able to use like uh, secure elements uh, rather than being open source. Like, if I had to choose between the two, I prefer choosing security than open source. You know, it's interesting because one of the things you hear from the open source community is that having something closed source actually does not increase the sense of of security for it. And, you know, I, I totally understand I agree. If, you're, if you're locked in from the vendor perspective. With all of your expertise in-house, you guys must have thought of building your own secure element stack. Um, this is something we uh, we considered at some point. The reason we didn't do that is the following. So first of all, it's incredibly difficult. Uh, it's very resource intensive in terms of like money uh, and also people and so on. It takes a lot of time. And then the problem is the guarantee you could get from uh, this, this secure element. Well, when you do like open source software, there was something uh, like really straightforward. You have the GitHub repository. You can simply uh, clone the repository, compile on your computer, and that's it. You have the software. And you can be sure that the software you run is the software that you download because everything is here. When it comes to building an open source IC, the, this is quite different. Like you, you can open source the uh, the design of the integrated circuit, 
But then you have plenty of tools like EDA tools, like uh, electronic design automation tools uh, that are completely uh, closed source that take your uh, source code and transform it into Netlist, GDS, like this kind of thing that you cannot audit at all first. And then when you have your GDS, which is which would be the output of the compilation, let's say, you have to send it to the to Foundry and the Foundry will send you back some circuit. And then you have a circuit in hand and you have absolutely no way to be sure that this specific circuit corresponds to uh, the open source software that you are putting on GitHub. So at, at the end, you will have like spent plenty of resources in order to create this open source circuit and the guarantees it provides are not that high at the end. You, you don't have the verifiability and the auditability that you would have to uh, expect. So th those are the main reasons why we didn't go to that direction. See, this is why we need Ledger built on FPGAs so everyone can independently verify it. But even an FPGA, at the end, the FPGA is the FPGA itself is is closed source, and you have you have no way to be sure that the the bitstream that you put inside is the same that you run at gen. This is this is quite difficult for for hardware to have like this certainty, which is very different for for software. Yeah, that's really that's interesting. I hadn't thought of it that way before, but yeah, the the verification down to the hardware level stack is actually a much more complicated problem than the software side. So I want to pivot a bit to both the business of Ledger and sort of the various offerings and products you have. I want to start and sort of on the retail side, because that's, I think, a lot more straightforward for folks to understand. But you sell physical hardware ledgers, you know, they're anywhere from, what, $79 up to about $130, depending on the version and the model. That's not a huge margin. That's not a huge cost. How does the retail side of Ledger actually make money to support all of the work you do, both on supporting new blockchains and building Ledger Live software. As you mentioned, it's a very open platform, but that that actual per unit cost seems pretty low for the value I get from a Ledger. So first of all, we also have announced Ledger Stacks in December that we have built with Tony Fadel, and it's a little more expensive in terms of price point. Um, in terms of margin, it's not that bad when you consider a hardware. Quite often on hardware, you have very, very low margin. In our case, it's a little less low, I would say. Um, but this is not the only way for uh, Ledger to create revenue. Uh, we also have uh, different other business units within Ledger. So one of them is uh, payment and transaction. Within Ledger Live, uh, you can buy, sell, swap, stake, Earn, you can have a banking card and so on. And all those financial services are provided by third-party partners. And we are connecting our users to these partners. And when our users are using their services, they are paying a little fee to uh, the partner to stake, to buy its weapons and sell and so on. And part of this fees is uh, giving back to a ledger. This is another uh, part of the business. This is the business model for a software wallet. For instance, MetaMask do not sell any hardware, but nonetheless, they are making money and they are making money on swap mostly. And this is, uh, this is also uh, something uh, important at Ledger. So this is a, a second revenue stream for us. 
We also have built a ledger market this year, which is a marketplace for NFT drop, uh, for brand, uh, and also for ledger. So this is also an, another uh, revenue stream. And uh, we also are working on another uh, business unit, which is called uh, Trust Services. And the idea is to provide some hand-holding uh, services for uh, newcomers. It's uh, uh, it, it's, a, it's a good one. And one of the problems we are going to uh, solve is the pain of the backup of your 24 words. Uh, this is a, this is also uh, another business unit, but it's not live yet. And finally, we have uh, our B2B offering. Yeah, I want to talk about the enterprise side of what Ledger offers, because there's a paradox, or at least a little bit of irony, in a self-custody organization building infrastructure for enterprise signing. On the face of it, you know, you can think, oh, of course, like uh, there, of course, there's an enterprise version of Ledger. Things like the Solana Foundation or any large organization using crypto, of course, they need to be finding a way to sign, you know, hundreds of messages a day if they're doing something like running payroll and chain, or if you're an exchange, right? You you have to send a huge number of transactions out every day just to keep fulfilling business operations. At the same time doing that while retaining values of self-custody is incredibly difficult just from a software stack perspective. So before we kind of get into some of the details of what those sort of enterprise offerings are, I want to kind of hear how you're thinking both about self-custody and its relationship to sort of the mass signing requirements, both from institutions and businesses, but also as we move into a world where, you know, social networks are, are starting to get built on chain, that's going to require just volumetrically me to sign, you know, exponentially more transactions per day than my current interaction with Web3 does. And if I have to be, you know, tapping in a pin code, you know, 40 times a day, I'm going to wear out my thumbs pretty quickly. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Like self-custody is really, really important, uh, as I mentioned before, and this is the purpose of this Web3 revolution, let's say. And when we say this, we really think about like retail self-custody, self but at some point you have also companies who are holding like uh, uh, digital assets, whether this is NFT or cryptocurrency. And these uh, companies also need like a way to store and manage uh, their uh, cryptocurrency. And they could use a ledger device. In terms of security, it's very secure. There was no, there was no debate. But the problem is uh, you also want to avoid a single point of failure in your company. You want some, some kind of governance. You want to say, okay, uh, this account can be accessed by these people in my company. And if they want to move funds, uh, they will need to go through like a specific process uh, where they can send funds only to the address. Or if they want to send more funds, they will need to gather three approvals out of five. Like governance is really important in terms of security because, and in this case, like the company is in self-custody. The company owns cryptocurrency and also needs self-custody uh, solutions. So I don't think it's completely contradictory. Yeah. And so how are you thinking about mass signing infrastructure and self-custody on the retail side? Uh, you know, th there's this whole thing right now where like, I am deeply committed to self-custody and using hardware wallets, but like, I am not going to carry a ledger with me 24-7. And so if I'm going out to, you know, I mean, there, there's there's plenty of fun parties nowadays at crypto conferences that you have to show an NFT to get in the door for. And, and that's kind of like 
I'd say the first piece of that sort of conundrum is like, okay, so am I carrying my phone and my nano everywhere? And then if I'm trying to log in, like decentralized Twitter is like the thing everyone always talks about is like the killer feature. And we're, we're finally getting blockchains that are fast enough that you could build something like that on it. But every time I tweet, if I'm gonna have to like use my ledger to sign a transaction, like that's not a great user experience and no one's gonna use ledgers for that kind of stuff. And as that becomes a bigger part of our lives, it, the, the security of it actually becomes more important, not less. So how are you thinking about those sort of problems into the future of blockchain? Yeah, that's true. Uh, it, and it's a, it's a very good point. For different use cases, you will need different solutions, uh, definitely. Uh, today, when you want to pay for your sandwich, you will pay with your contactless payment. When you want to buy a house, uh, it's more complex. You have to go to the bank. So today, uh, with Ledger devices, we have solved like the solution for like valuable assets. And when I say valuable, it means like in terms of monetary value, but also in terms of emotional value, like uh, your favorite NFT, maybe it doesn't worth a lot, but it's really important for you. And so you don't want to uh, lose it. Uh, you will secure it uh, inside, your, inside your device. And when you want to interact with DeFi uh, with a lot of value, then you want this interaction to be secured, so you, you will need a Ledger device. But for the use cases of tomorrow, where, where you will have to sign very often with a wallet, definitely having to click on the device uh, several times a day is not good. There is a lot of friction for that. And, uh, and that's why we will need like different solutions for that. There are different uh, tracks that we are following in Ledger. One of the ideas is to merge the ledger technology, ledger security within something like your uh, your phone. Maybe uh, like creating bundling those two things would be uh, something important for tomorrow. Today, it's simply not possible to have the same level of security of ledger within uh, SOC-based device like a mobile phone. But tomorrow, we can modify the technology to enable this kind of thing. So this is one of the ideas. What part of the solution can also come uh, from the blockchain? Like when you uh, when you have a look to account abstraction, this is something uh, which enables this kind of use case. With account abstraction, you can say something like, for this very valuable NFT and this uh, stack of Solana, uh, they can't move from my wallet if I don't sign with my ledger device. And for this uh, less valuable NFT, only signing with my uh, pass keys on my iOS is sufficient. And, uh, and this is totally okay. And, uh, and this is, uh, you don't want to have the same level of security for uh, different use cases. Do you think that's the sort of thing Ledger would ever build themselves? Because right now, the, the software that Ledger builds here it exists on the hardware device and then it exists in the live application. But you guys aren't like building a wallet application in your own sense. Like there's a world where Ledger could build smart contracting software to actually run like a smart contract wallet on chain. And is that something you guys have explored or are you pretty happy in the domain you're in now? For now, I think we are still very early. This is something we are looking at very closely because it will be part of the future. And for now, I think we are we are early and it's not yet the time for us to propose something to the mass market. But we are exploring it very closely. And again, I don't think we, we need to build things if there, are, there is already something very good off the shelf. We just need to leverage it. This is always what I, what I say to, to the engineers, because we, as engineers, we like to build everything. 
just because we can. But sometimes there is something that exists already, which is good enough. So let's use this this thing. So uh, yeah, long story short, if there are smart contracts who are which are suitable for our needs, we will leverage them, integrate our devices, and so on. If it's not the case, we'll modify what exists. Yeah. So we're speaking after Paris Blockchain Week. I was there. A bunch of folks from Ledger were there as well. And one of the notable things about Paris Blockchain Week is how few French companies there actually are in the blockchain space today. Now, Ledger, of course, is based in France, and there are tons of blockchain developers based in France. But in general, it's not a part of the world that we really associate with blockchain innovation and sort of development in the crypto space. Do you sort of have a sense of why that is? And I know that there's a little bit changing in the government right now where there's a little bit more of a push to maybe make France a home for blockchain tech. So for me, there are, there are two main reasons. Uh, the first one is the one you just mentioned, like the, the government don't want to miss this revolution. Like in France, in Europe, we missed the revolution of, of the internet and I witnessed it. I witnessed this, that was like obvious. This is the first reason. And the second reason is for France, especially, is is really related to the public school system, where like mathematics and is really very important. And uh, when you like to do computer science and mathematics, like, cryptography becomes something uh, something obvious. Yeah. And like in blockchain, there are like two main skills that you need to have. Like this is like cryptography and computer science. And for me, this is the second reason why we have very good engineers in in these fields as well. Right. So this is like, you know, Solana Foundation, I think, has two or three developers in France. Like there's a number of developers working for companies abroad who are based in France. But the homegrown ecosystem doesn't really seem to have developed as much. Why do you think that is? Is it just harder to build a startup in France? I think it's it's really more difficult to build a startup uh, in France than in the US, uh, like in terms of uh, administrative paperwork and so on. It's really, really more complex. Uh, and also, like we we don't have an entrepreneurial mind, like uh, mindset in France, not not that much. And I think it's really related by uh, to to the fact that the relationship with failure. Like in France, we hate failing, like and we don't talk about failures. You 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 are a little bit ashamed to fail, and that's why people don't try. And I think that's the reason why uh, we are not that entrepreneurial in France. Uh, this, I, I really think this is the big difference that you have in France uh, compared to the to the US. And for me, when I go to the the US, it's really obvious that people don't uh, don't care about failing. Like uh, they learn something and they are happy to share the experience and so on. In France, when you fail something, you don't say anything. <laughs> <laughs> Interesting. Uh, so speaking of failures, after the collapse of FTX last year, I know that Ledger saw a big spike in sales. On a personal level, I know a ton of people who had been putting off buying a ledger, but after what happened, they finally ordered one. In the long term, how do you sort of see the relationship between self-custody and user onboarding playing out? Because up until now, there really are no exchanges that say we're going to serve as everything but the custodian, right? We have this in the decentralized world with, with DeFi, but there's no sort of centralized exchange that's like bring your own wallet today. And that feels like something that sort of could be a real opportunity, especially with a company like Ledger. Um, I think that during uh, 2022 with uh, FTX, uh, Celsius and others, 
it, it really emphasized like the importance of self-custody. And on the long run, I think it was a positive event. It's difficult to say this today because I know plenty of people yeah. who, who lost money and, and that was really unfortunate. I agree with that. Nonetheless, like this kind of events emphasize even more like the importance of self-custody. And I think it's if you don't self-custody, there was no revolution. Like there was no purpose of, of this. Like this is you 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 are just speculating on on something that that is, has no real value. This would be uh, the first thing I wanted to highlight. And again, you you are correct. Like after these events, we saw plenty of people uh, playing the ledger. And uh, I I think November was the biggest month ever for ledger. Just just after uh, FTX events, and. Um, uh, about your second comment, I also think like exchanges uh, should pay more attention to self-custody and ease uh, more like the um, integration of different wallets. I think it starts to be the case, like if you check carefully what the CEO of uh, uh, Coinbase or, or Kraken are saying about that, like they say, leave only on the exchange what you need to trade and for the rest, get off uh, of the exchange and, and use, uh, use a harder wallet. This is often what they say. And also you have uh, different exchanges which have uh, developed their own wallet. Uh, you have a trust wallet for Binance. Uh, also Coinbase uh, has developed its own uh, Coinbase wallet. So this might be a reason why uh, they, uh, they don't promote too much uh, other wallet uh, in the space. But for instance, uh, Trust Wallet just announced the integration of uh, Ledger devices in their wallet, and this is the same for uh, Coinbase Wallet. So this is not completely completely true, but I understand what you say. Well, it's not obvious for a Coinbase user that you can withdraw your cryptocurrency into a into a Ledger device. I think that's true, but yeah, I, I think we are still in a long process of educating people. When do you think is the right moment for someone to buy a hardware wallet? And I know in, in the abstract sense, the answer is at the very beginning, but realistically, that's not how, how humans work. So how do you sort of think people should be thinking about, you know, eh, my friend's been playing around with blockchain for a little bit, like I should probably buy them a ledger or, you know, like that calculus of saying like, because I think people can get into this situation. It's sort of like, you know, the, the whole thing about boiling a frog. They don't necessarily realize they need a hardware wallet till maybe they have a few thousand dollars in their software wallet. They realize, oh God, what happens if I, you know, something happens here? For me, the best time to buy a hardware wallet is now, or maybe yesterday. And it's not a matter of like uh, how much uh, crypto you have. I, I, I understand that some sometimes people say I only have like uh, five thousand uh, USD in crypto. Uh, that's not worth having a hardware wallet and so on. But for me, when you buy hardware wallet, the first thing you get is a lesson. You have a cryptocurrency lesson. You understand better what it means to have crypto, what it means self-custody. And this is really, really important. And you can do your own research. You can read plenty of things. At the end, experiencing self-custody is something like unique. And you cannot do that without a hardware wallet. So even if you you don't plan to hold plenty of crypto, like buying a hardware wallet is a way to have some skin in the game and to understand better uh, what it means to uh, self-custody. Yeah, that's super interesting. So a few kind of questions about like your views on some of the future of, of where blockchain is heading. Um, you know, account abstraction, I think, is something that 
the purists thought we would never get, this sort of idea that different assets within a wallet could be treated differently. Um, do you think we'll ever get an undo button? <laughs> I think like you, you can imagine an undo button exactly as you have an undo button in Gmail. When you send an email, you have a few seconds to cancel. This is the only undo button that you can you can do. Otherwise, like uh, it, it's it doesn't make sense. I think. Yeah. And also in terms of what I see uh, coming in the future, I'm I'm really really interested in like how we are about to solve the scalability challenge that we have on blockchain, because this is something we don't clearly understand. But the blockchain we have today has a very low throughput, and uh, and it's it's a big issue. And whenever you have more usage on a blockchain, that means that you have an auction mechanism in order to include your transaction uh, within the next block. And uh, with mass adoption, like the blockchain we have today are not ready to sustain the load. How to uh, solve this scalability challenge is not easy because uh, you have the famous blockchain trilemma where you have like scalability, security, and decentralization. And the problem is to have the three things at the same time is incredibly difficult. And as of today, blockchain are quite decentralized, quite uh, secure, but not really uh, scalable. And today we witness major progress in this area where we are building layer two, uh, where this layer two will settle on layer one. Layer two have like almost infinite scalability uh, capability. But you can leverage like the the security and the decentralization of the layer one, or you could just build on Solana. Yeah, Solana also. But in terms of, for instance, in kidding. the blockchain trilemma, uh, decentralization of Solana it can be a challenge, and and I would say this mostly because it's quite difficult to run uh, your own node. Like uh, running a node on uh, Solana is like thousand times more difficult than on Bitcoin, for instance. And you can run a Bitcoin node for uh, on your on your phone if you want. Yeah. Um, for Solana, it's really, really more complex. Yeah, you know, I think there's a, there's a whole, this is maybe a separate episode, but there's a whole area where we thought that was true for a very long time. What we realized is, as an industry, is if you make nodes easy to run, people run them on AWS. It's it's possible, yeah. Yeah. It's a, but... There's, there are different difficult challenges. I, I agree. I agree. They are, but those are important. Like decentralization is important for like having permissionless system. And permissionless is for me. This is the biggest value proposition of blockchain. Permissionless means like you are in self custody and no one can prevent you to own your value and to transact it. And uh, yeah. and this is possible through self custody and decentralization. Very cool. Well, before I let you go, uh, I'd be remiss if not to ask you, when am I going to get my stacks? <laughs> uh, it depends. If you are on the waiting list, it should be uh, in, a, in a few weeks, I think. Excellent. Well, Charles, thank you so much for chatting today about Ledger, hardware wallet, self-custody, and the mess of an industry we find ourselves in from a security standpoint. Yeah, thank you very, very much uh, for having me, Austin, and that was a great discussion. Validated is produced by Ray Belli with help from Ross Cohen, Brandon Ector, Amira Valiani, and Ainsley Medford. Engineering by Tyler Morissette.